If you have your Bibles out and ready, uh, Romans chapter 5, we're going to be starting in verse 12. So if you want to grab those and I'll read and you can read along with me. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as in one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, uh, Penny, who enjoys being on a stage in front of everyone. Not really. But I'm so grateful to her for doing that. Well, um, we're going to look at what seems to be a pretty thick and complicated passage. It's actually not really, but I would be... It would be almost sinful, not exactly, to not recognize uh, when it's someone's birthday and they're serving. So can I just go off the map for a second? Carly, where are you? Is Carly, she's probably hid. Carly, where are you? Are you in, are you in the room? Okay, here she is. Why don't you just stand on your feet because we love you. Carly turned, <laughs> she turned 26 today and is serving with the Westside School of Mission Theology and Worship. Yes. So. Please, when we're done, she's at the table as well as Lonnie, who is singing this morning. And if you know of anyone, whether really close or maybe, oh, there's someone that's a friend of mine who might be interested in the school. We want to see him get connected. And registration's open now, and the new term starts in the fall. So please say happy birthday to Carly and, and, and do that. One other housekeeping thing, because this might be new, but we've been sharing it for a month to those it affects. Uh, we do First Sunday because we want to cause a traffic jam in Hillsboro. No, not really. We do it because we're one family. And as one family, when you grow, you have to adjust your strategies to fit with growth. And so I'm thrilled to announce, like we're gonna continue to do First Sunday every month, 10 o'clock. But we've been doing on the other weeks, 9, 11, and 6 p.m. gatherings where we're gonna shift that. Our elders and pastors met and realized as we're growing, we want to be more effective in equipping you, not just with songs and sermons, but with more studies. 
Many of you have gone to one of these studies once a month. We want to increase the amount of those and do more training in leadership development. In order to do that with our team, it's impossible to do 9, 11, 6 and classes all afternoon. It's exhausting. We actually set this place up starting at 5.30 or 6 in the morning and have to tear it all down. So as of uh, today, on the off weeks other than first Sunday, it's just going to be 9 and 11. So there won't be an evening gathering. And you're going to notice we're going to pepper in more training opportunities right after the 11 o'clock gathering to equip you to follow and love Jesus. Make sense? We've been sharing this for a month with those who it affects at 6 p.m., but I didn't want you to say, oh, no, or you go out to the coast because it's a beautiful day. You come back at 6, and there's a big smiley face mocking you on the door saying, we're not here. Okay, that, that would be bad. All right. Well, um, with that, why don't we pray and focus our attention on what the text has to say. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you are alive, and you're alive in us, and you're doing things. We see it. We sense it. We know it. And God, we just want to step into all that you have for us. We want to live your life, Jesus. We want to be reshaped and molded to be the human beings you made us to be. And so on the outset, we confess we have made a mess. We've walked away. We've ignored you. We've been lazy. We've rebelled. But we come home today. Lord, from all sorts of walks of life, we come to your house, so to speak, to hear your voice and to walk in your way. So, Holy Spirit of God, speak to us. Teach us the truth of Jesus, and we will walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our hope in doing First Sunday is we do, if you notice, the food and coffee is up front so that you would maybe meet someone and take someone to lunch afterwards. Real families eat together. It's just the way that a healthy family operates. So just put a little money on the side of your budget and find someone, maybe you don't know super well, and invite them to lunch and just pay for it because, right? That's the hope and the heart of it. But uh, just to let you know, in the, in the weather months where we see the golden orb, the summer, right? In June, July, August, and September on first Sunday, if you've been here, we actually cater a meal here. And we do lunch all together. But all throughout the year, we want you to be making that a part of your rhythm. Uh, can I just suggest something? Speaking of food, uh, I, I want to suggest that you try a kazuki. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I don't know if you've been to it. It's in the Market of Choice Plaza on Barnes. Okay, yes. Thank you very much. Market of Choice or kazuki? Yes, he nods. He wants both. Well, if you, if, if you haven't had it, it's a ramen Restaurant, And maybe that's, like, you're growing up, uh, I'm Puerto Rican in background. We had rice and beans, ramen. I don't think I ever had the, the thing in the pack at the top ramen thing until freshman year in college. And I walked in. I was assigned a roommate. He had already unpacked his stuff, but he wasn't in the room. I go in to say hello. There's nothing but his bags and cases, <laughs> cases of top ramen. Awkward. You know, like, I don't even know what the stuff is. But obviously being a college student, like 10 for a buck, you know, you could, everyone could eat for less than a dollar. And if you call it eating, I don't even know. But, you know, the noodles, if you haven't seen it, where are you? But like, you know, the noodles in the little packet and you mix it with hot water and supposedly that's a meal. Well, well I, I would never order ramen at a restaurant. Like I've never ordered 
ramen. I wouldn't go to a ramen restaurant because in my brain, it's the little crackly cardboard and a, and a salt packet, you know, that you call chicken broth or whatever. Until you go to Kazuki, like, uh, mark my words, tell them Jose sent you. Um, that would mean nothing because they don't know who I am. <laughs> but but if, you, if you go, order the garlic. I'm going to mess up, I'm going to butcher this, but trust me. Garlic, uh, tonkotsu shoyu ramen. I, I'm, uh, okay, I'm doing all right, evidently. Do you work there? Okay, there goes my discount. All right, well, it has, it has this rich, complex broth that you will not believe. It has a, these, this soft-boiled egg that was marinated in something that's in the middle there. It has uh, um, vegetables and pork, or you can get it without. But it is mind-blowingly good, and the noodles are real. They're real noodles. If you do it, here's the cool part, you just eat all your noodles, whatever, and for a buck, you can, they'll dump in another batch of noodles with the broth you have left. It's like a twofer. I'm cheap. But it's so good. So in retrospect, top ramen is actually false advertising. It's not top. It's not even ramen. And so there are, are, are two ways to eat. You can eat out of a packet or you can eat something that's authentic and rich and satisfying. And in the same way, there's more than one way to live. You can live a packet life. Or you can live a life that is rich and full of blessing and satisfying. There's more than one way to live. So we've been looking at Romans 5 through 8 because we heard the message of the good news and we know what it is now. That God, through faith in Jesus, puts us into the right. We're in sync with God. So we've been justified and we've been redeemed and we've been reconciled. All of these fancy terms that simply say disconnected, packet, stale, suddenly vibrant, life-giving. Here we are walking with Jesus. And in, as a result of that, Paul is very clear in his verbiage. What describes an authentic Jesus follower? What's the word? And we're seeing in chapters 5 through 8, hope. Those of us who know Jesus actually should live. We can live with hope. Why? We saw three reasons last week. We've got a podcast if you missed it, but let me recap it because Paul builds on what we talked about last week. First thing, we're never alone. You and I have the Holy Spirit. God lives with us. Why can I have hope? I'm never going through anything apart from God. To say, God, where are you is an, is an honest confession because we don't sense his presence at times, but it actually makes no sense. If I have the Holy Spirit, God is with me. We also have seen the proof of God's love in Jesus. I don't have to wonder if God loves me. His evidence, God demonstrates his own love for us this way. While we were still sinning, rebelling, leaving, Jesus Christ died for us. That's the proof of love. And we know that the best is yet to come. We saw last week, justified is about what happened. God puts me in the right. I've been made righteous. It already happened. I've been reconciled. I was an enemy. I was opposed to God and his ways, but now I've been brought in close. I'm part of the family. All that happened, but Paul says we will be saved. We haven't been saved yet. God has already covered my past by the Spirit. He's with me in the now, and I'm moving towards 
the future where I fully will experience all God has already done, and that's what it means to be saved. Therefore, even though life is hard and challenges are real, and death and sickness and disappointment and taxes, all of it comes. And I know in light of the ups and downs, I can live with hope. I will be with Jesus forever. So what Paul does is he builds on those realities. And in a sense, why should we hold on to Jesus when we're going through tough times? And friend, you could be going through tough times right now. You could be going through a mess, a messy business experience or a messy divorce or just raising kids turned out to not be idyllic. It, it didn't work out exactly the way in our mind you thought it would be. You're not alone, but you can live with hope. So what Paul does now is he compares, okay? There's two ways to do ramen, package and real. There's two ways to be human. And what we're going to see is Paul looks at the Bible through the lens of Jesus. And there are two human experiences, Adam and Jesus. Look back at verse 12. Therefore, Adam and Jesus, how do you live? Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sin. So there is a vicious downward cycle in the way of Adam. Adam is the pattern of how to be human. Now, this leads to an interesting question. Let's just look at the cycle, then we'll look at the person. Sin enters through one man. One. And death comes to one man, Adam and Eve end up experiencing death. But then their kids and their kids and their kids and their kids all experience the same downward cycle. Sin brings in something that destroys, and it's all because of Adam. So who is Adam or who is Adam? You see, in Genesis 1 and 2, when we're given this name, in Hebrew, it's Adam, but it could mean many things. Some would think Adam and Eve, right, two individuals. Actually, Adam means man. It could be man-male. It could be human being. Adam is human. It could be the proper name for the first human being. So when we read Genesis and when Paul reads Genesis in light of Jesus, he realizes something. There is the pattern of Adam, the man, or mankind, or human beings. And by the way, the first one, Adam, is just typical of all of them. See, so, so Adam is an isolated individual, sure, but he's representative of everybody. So when I was a kid, you know, and I messed up, I, I always wondered, like, man, why am I having to deal with, like, why am I in trouble when it's Adam's fault? I went to church as a kid, so I had logic on my side. It's all Adam's fault. Like, don't blame me. Like, and if I, if I could go back and I could do it over again, I wouldn't mess up, right? Which sounded to, like it made sense until I lived a little bit longer and realized, wow, Adam was probably better at following God than I am. And so in a real sense... Adam, the first human, does rebel against God and the cycle goes downward. But really, he's representative in Scripture of everyone's experience. What am I saying? Adam's story is our story. 
we are, whether we realize it or not, are living the packet life. When there's the authentic, you and I, because we have just followed in the footsteps of everyone before us, we are living way lower than God ever intended. And that's why the good news is so good. Because there's more than one way to live the human experience. And so what we see is Paul, reading the Bible, says, Adam, or Adam, is a representative. You are in Adam, and Adam is in you. His story is your story, is our story. But there is another story. Look at verse 14. Look, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even though over those who didn't sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one who's to come. So Adam is a representative. He's just like us. But he's the pattern of someone else who's going to show us a better way. Which is why he goes on this little rabbit trail about the law. Everyone before Moses, if you read the Bible, died. More than that, they were disconnected from God while they lived. And so Moses is given God's revelation of truth. Here is the way to be human. This is the way I made you to live. Walk in it. Enjoy me. But Paul reading his Bible in light of Jesus makes a connection. It's not by following God's directives that Moses and others received life. Because everyone who didn't have the law was disconnected from God anyway. In other words, everyone is like Adam. So from the time of Adam to Moses, death and sin and rebellion reigned. And then if you look at the giving of the law, right after it, death and sin and rebellion continue. So it's not by following a set of rules. It's not by following a particular path that we experience life in God. But it's rather by becoming a new human. We can have a real change on the inside. Same social security number, same address, same employer. But there is a new way to live your life in connection with God. So what he does is just contrast. How are they different and how are they the same? So let's look at how Adam and Jesus are totally different from one another. Verse 15. But the gift... That's of Jesus, is not like the trespass. So there's a contrast. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. In other words, there are two ways to be human, but you have to be fair. The way of Adam, the, our way, and the way of Jesus are not identical. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. The gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So having, having said that Adam's a pattern, he now shows us how they are not in, in sync. How are they different? First thing, and just write it down, their motives are different. It said, but the gift is not like the trespass. What's a trespass? It's a violation. It's a wrongdoing. It's offense. It's an offense. So the gift is not like this broken way. They're, they're different. So Adam falls from the way he was created to be. He violates. He, he disobeys. And in that, 
He gets what he deserves. So the fall of Adam, but there's an alternative, and that's Jesus, the gift of God. Grace is unlike uh, the motivation in the heart. So, so Adam tries to bring himself up towards God. The, the tempter comes and says, God's holding back. Did God really say? He's holding out. And when he gives in to a lie, he's trying to grab hold of something that he feels God is keeping from him. In other words, he's trying to climb his way to be more like God. Interestingly enough, Jesus is the polar opposite. He is God, but he did not consider equality with God something to even be imagined or grasped, but he humbled himself and took the very form of a servant, and he dies. See the contrast? Adam's going higher to grab hold of what God's holding back, but Jesus, who is all, humbles himself and lowers himself. The motivation is different. Adam seemingly goes to get something he's missing. Jesus empties himself and gives himself over so that you can receive grace. The motivations are different. Secondly, I just want us to see that the results are different. Look, the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. That's verse 16. So you have a different result from the two. Adam's lifestyle leads to judgment. Jesus' sacrifice leads to justification, where I'm put back on God's side. They're not the same thing. And their powers are different. The power that Adam had and the power of God and Jesus are not the same. Verse 17, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I want us to see the phrase, how much more. The motivation of Adam and Jesus are different. The results of Adam and Jesus are different. What God's doing is not on par with the brokenness of the world. God is greater and God's power is bigger. So God's Grace, hear this, is bigger than my rebellion. And my friends, that's good news. If God has just enough, just enough to help me get through, I could be in trouble because he could, he could give some of that power to you and not have enough left for me. But we see in the scriptures, we see in the life of Jesus that God's grace is is so much bigger. So there's more than one way to live your life. You could live your life in the pattern of Adam, where there are cycles of rebellion that lead to sin and destruction and death. And, and we all know it. Nobody starts a business with the hope and dream of utter collapse. Maybe a few, but we have people that they need to see. Right? No, you start with a dream of making a difference in your employee, employees, in your community, with your product, with your service, to the world. But we've all experienced it. Things do break down. I just have one word if you've been watching the news. Uber. I think it's a fantastic service, but the one that keeps scratching under the surface, they're finding there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of inequality inside for their employees. There's a, 
few programs going on to keep people from seeing what they're doing. And it's just the way life is. There is a cycle of brokenness. We can hide it. It doesn't mean we're not good people. It doesn't mean we don't do good things. There are those who don't love God, don't follow the way of Jesus, who are fantastic human beings. And that's a good thing. But keep scratching the surface. I saw an interesting um, biography on, on TV the other day on Warren Buffett, who is, who's just a magical investor. But it was intriguing to me to see the interviews of his kids about the dad who wasn't there. And little video clips of him in the room and the kids are playing and his nose is in the newspapers as if they don't exist. I'm not slamming Warren Buffett. He decided to give away all of his wealth. Fantastic. I'm pitching 26 West Church. We'll see what happens. <laughs> not really, but, but that's a good thing. But scratch on the surface, scratch on the surface, scratch on the surface, and even some of the wisest financial minds, there are areas of brokenness and regret. And it happens to all of us. The pattern of Adam is seen in all of us. We can choose to live in that downward spiral. Here's good news. We don't have to. What God has done in Jesus has opened a way for a new way for you to live your life and be the human being that God created you to be. You can step into grace. You see, because of Jesus, there is an alternative, and that is the good news. Now, it's old in that we've heard it for a long time. But some of us, unfortunately, you've heard it so long, it doesn't sound good anymore. This is why we're going through Romans, to rediscover what many of you already believe but I've just forgotten. There's another way to live. Look at verse 18. Consequently, and now, now what, what he's going to do is talk about how they're the same. We're moving, we move from how they were different, Adam and Jesus, to how they're the same. So verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for many people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So Adam leads to results. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many were made righteous. What happens in Jesus has results. And then it goes in this little rabbit trail. Verse 20. The law was brought in so that the violation, the disobedience, what's wrong, might increase. So this gives us an interesting read on how we see the first part of the Bible Adam and Eve and everyone go down the vicious cycle. God gives his ways, but his ways don't make people right. God telling us what was good and right and holy and pure doesn't necessarily change my inside. All it does is increase my sense of guilt. And Paul's going to say it in these next couple of chapters. Well, you don't have a law. You kind of know it's wrong, but you're, you may be right. But where you have a clear law, you're only confirming, yeah, I thought I was wrong, but I am. And so the law comes in, and it's good, and it's pure, and it's God on display. But it can't save us. Because it only accentuates how I'm on the downward spiral. I think it's interesting when you read the early bit of Genesis that the length of the number of years that people lived 
decreased and decreased and decreased and decreased. It's interesting. I think the writer is telling us sin has a long-term effect and it continues to squash and make things worse. And so many of us, if we just had time and were honest, that would be our story if we were asked to share. I got a lot of good and I got a good heart and I try, but there's this other side of me that I haven't dealt with and here's what happened. As a, a pastor here, you're just privy to more of what's real. There's you, and then there's the real you. And one thing that happens in church as people become more and more honest is you realize that, that everyone can fake it for a while, but you have to come to grips with the real you. And one of the beautiful things about being a part of a church community is you don't have to fake it because everyone else understands, or at least should, their own brokenness. So we can be real about what is real and live with hope because there's an alternative. And the alternative is grace. You see, Adam and Jesus, they both leave a legacy. And all throughout the Bible, you see the legacy of Adam in the downward spiral of people after him. But, but you do see at the right time, God sends his son Jesus. And, and in Adam, there's condemnation for everyone, but Jesus brings justification for those who believe. In Adam's disobedience, all are made sinners. But in Jesus' obedience, there are long-term legacy benefits. We are made righteous. And so this morning, you have to choose. How are you going to pattern your life? Are you going to continue to go on the pattern of Adam or are you going to allow God's grace to come in and reset the button of your world and set you free to be the human that God actually intended? We all have seen it. It is possible to live this life under what you're capable of. And this is not a Tony Robbins talk about reaching your, I don't have teeth as nice as his, okay? This is not the power of positive thinking. This is not accentuating the excellence in you. This is realizing I am dead, but Jesus brings resurrection. And that is the difference between the gospel and self-help. Self-help says it's already within you. The gospel says, yes, it is within you. Death and destruction. And you chose it. And you're in Adam, and Adam's in you. But in Jesus, there's life so you can come alive by the grace of God shown in Jesus and now live up to everyone that God, every bit of what God created you to be. So grace. What Paul says here is grace. That The difference, the legacy is grace. Now grace is one of those church words, you know, you say grace, or at least people used to. What does that actually mean? What is grace? Well, we're going to see it in the next few weeks, but I just want to touch on it this morning because Paul uses it multiple times. Grace is God's favor, God's care, God's help, God's goodwill. Do you know God has goodwill for you? God has real care for you. God really wants to help and show his favor on you. So in Romans 5, that's, that's what the word means just in general. But in Romans 5, it's pretty clear. God gives goodwill to people who don't deserve it. That's grace. God justifies those 
who stand condemned. That's grace. God makes alive those that are dead in Adam. That's grace. Can I just suggest to you, don't be satisfied with top ramen when God has given you the authentic, the real, you have to choose which way you're going to live your life. And the good news is you can receive God's grace. It's available. And so never underestimate, this is why we live with hope, never underestimate, my friend, the power of God's goodwill, help, care, favor. Don't underestimate God. And when you look at your life and you think about what you have and don't have, you know, so we're, we're, you know, we're told, you just see it in advertisements for wealth advising companies, you know. I, I saw a commercial just this week and, and there was a lady sitting in there and she had a small number, small, let's just say it was 50,000. I think it was maybe even less than that over her head. And, and there's an investment you know, manager who comes out and sees a person sitting next to her and over his head is like 250,000. And she goes to stand up to be helped and he goes right by her for the person with 250K and brings that person in. And, and the, 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 the point of the commercial is, hey, we care for you no matter how much you have. Blah, blah, blah. The world may look at you as just a number over your head or a word over your head. And I'm just curious this morning, if there was a word over your head, what would that word read? What would it read? You just got to know that the most true thing is God's grace. You have to know that the most true thing about you, if you're in Jesus, is his grace. So the number that was over your head or the word that was over your head, yeah, that may feel real. It's just not the most real thing about you. If God is for you, who can be against you? Don't underestimate God and his grace over your life. My friend, this morning, I think the right response is just to receive. It's so frustrating. Romans is so frustrating. We're going to get into it next week. We're going to look at the comparison about what God says about us and what God tells us, what he tells us to do. It's going to be interesting. Come next week to see the comparison of how much of what we read in Romans is just, this is true of you. This is true of you. This is true of you. And there are a few things God tells us to do. But I think I, I mostly flip that. I get caught up in if, if I, if I, if I, if I, if I, if I, then maybe. And that's not grace. Grace is favor and gift and care and love and concern. And God already has that for you. He's demonstrated in Jesus now the question is, will you receive it? Now there might be barriers this morning. You had a person that was very unloving who called themselves a Jesus follower. And they were just flat out mean. And so the perception of what it means to have life in God is, is mixed up by that person's attitude or actions. That's real. Can I just encourage you? Because the Holy Spirit is more real than that experience, the Holy Spirit can retune your mind to understand how good God is. He actually can do it. And you don't have to figure out who God is. This is how it works. We receive God. By faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. And then the Father becomes knowable, which is, is backwards to how I think it works. If I can figure out who God is, I'll follow him. 
oh, it's, that's not how it works. You follow God, and then you know who he is. And that's grace. Grace says you were, but now you are. And so, my friends, fall in love with God because he gives his grace. The truth is you're already in Adam. We'll, we'll be blunt. You have no hope. Zero. Christian Pep Talk 101. You don't. Left alone, cycle, it's downward, and it leads to long-term death apart from God. But in Jesus, there's a new way to be a human being. And when I receive grace, I can now live up to the person God made me to be received. But when I receive grace, I'm going to see it next week because we're going to get to Romans 6. And we're going to begin to see that grace takes me somewhere. It's a road. It's not just a fact. It's a road that I walk on. And what we're going to see is that grace opens my eyes to steps of obedience that I'm now empowered to take. So maybe for you, you've already received God's grace. Maybe the step of obedience, hear me, we're going to see it in next week's text, is baptism. To be baptized in water is not to say, in doing the action, I now receive grace. No, if you got that, you, you mixed it up. It's to say, I have received God's grace, therefore I'm going to walk in the way of Jesus. And Jesus was baptized in water, and his followers were baptized in water. And for 2,000 years, those who received grace have said to the entire world and the community, I am now one of his. I belong to Jesus. This morning, nice clothes and all, if you've not yet followed in obedience since receiving Jesus, I encourage you, be baptized. Maybe it's about asking someone forgiveness. Because you've received grace, you don't get to hold on to bitterness. Sorry. You don't get to. Those of us who've been forgiven now learn to freely forgive. As a matter of fact, Jesus says when you come to the Father in prayer, if there's, if there's something wrong with someone else, leave your gift at the altar. Go be reconciled to that person and then come back and worship. Maybe grace is pushing you to extend forgiveness or receive forgiveness. I don't know. It could be returning something that's not yours. It's just not yours. And it's in your house or in your bank account. And it's not yours. Maybe it's time to be honest. And as a result of receiving grace to live with integrity, maybe it's about saying no to things that God says not helpful. God's not a killjoy. He's a life giver. And those who give life warn people about things that will keep them from life. So maybe it's about learning to listen to the voice of the Spirit and say no. I don't know. All I do know is that there's grace for you and it's here now. And I want you to receive it. In a couple of minutes when we worship, Brandon's going to release you towards the tables here at the front. Good luck. There's a traffic jam about to happen over there. I would encourage you to go to that one or in the back as well and the sides. And the bread and the cup are symbols of grace. Jesus' death and resurrection, body and life, blood given for our life and change. And when we go, hold the bread and the cup and remember you're a recipient of grace. Why don't we stand on our feet and let's now respond and worship to Jesus. First by thanking him and then by stepping into grace.
grace. I'm, just, I'm saying it straight up. If you're a Jesus follower who's not been baptized in water and you know you're already, or you want to follow him today and say, I want to be one of those who actually follow Jesus. When everyone goes to the tables for the bread and the cup, you just go over towards the, the water and there'll be one of our leaders there and they'll hear your story and pray with you and we'll walk out your obedience this morning in baptism. Lord, we thank you that we don't deserve it, but you give grace. Lord, as we sing, God, open our minds to the beauty of your favor. As we step towards the table, remind us of the truthfulness of your sacrifice and your resurrection and your promise of life now and later. And Lord, for those of us who just feel bad about everything, will you awaken us to your good will? Your attitude towards us is good. We're not the old person. We're different, and it's because of you, Jesus. So we love you and we respond.